you can host the best backyard barbecue. When you find a professional on Angie to make your backyard the best around. Connect with skilled professionals to get all your home projects done well. Inside to outside, repairs to renovations. Get started on the Angie app or visit Angie.com today. You can do this when you Angie that. Hey friends, Bill Press here. Hope you're enjoying the podcast. I want to be sure you know my new book is out. Uh, Not so subtle. The title, Trump Must Go. The top 100 reasons to dump Trump and one, maybe, to keep him. It's available anywhere books are sold. Um, best place to get it is go to our website, billpressshow.com. Special discount there for ordering the book and a way that you can add your own reasons to dump Trump. Let's do it now. Everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show, live at youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show. They tried to avoid it as long as they could, but they finally had to cave in and schedule a hearing for Professor Christine Blasey Ford, Brett Kavanaugh's accuser, to be heard under oath next Monday in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. What do you say, everybody? It is Tuesday, September 18. So good to see you today. Thank you for joining us. Uh, big, 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 big news day. Uh, it seems like that's all we have these days. Uh, a lot of news happening out of our nation's capital. Uh, we will bring you all the news of the day and not just about the latest on the Kavanaugh hearing. A little update on Florence. President Trump taking advantage of maybe uh, nobody paying attention to what he's doing down at the White House by slapping $200 billion on tariffs on China, in tariffs on China last night and promising yet another $257 billion if they retaliate with any tariffs against the United States. We are, yes, we are in the middle of a trade war with China. Thank you, Donald. Uh, lots and lots going on. As we say, we will uh, bring you up to date on all of the above and look forward to hearing from you. You know how to do it. Your comments, welcome on Twitter at any time, at BP Show, on Twitter, at BP Show. And yes, there is a new potential Democratic candidate for president. That's all we need. One more Democrat running for president. You may be surprised who this one is. All of that coming up. But first, this is the Full Court Press. All righty, just a couple of other stories making news. You know, last night, with yeah. the Emmy Awards. No, Yeah, kidding. I totally just snuck up on me. I wasn't paying much attention, but oh. they, they happened last night. Damn, how did I miss them? Yeah, right? Well, people pointed out it was a fairly boring affair. A lot of the winners were from throwback eras. They've been around for a long time. For example, Henry Winkler. Famous for playing the Fonz, he won Best Supporting Actor in a Comedy Series for the TV show Barry, which I can tell you is actually a very, very good show, uh, and he did a great job in it. Uh, Outstanding Lead Actor in a Comedy Series also went to Bill Hader for the same show, uh, Barry. Mm -hmm. Outstanding Lead Actress in the Comedy Series was Rachel Brosnahan for The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, which is a thing that's on Amazon Prime. 
which I haven't watched yet, but it won a lot of awards last night. People said it was very, very good. Uh, at the end of the day, the big, big winners. So Outstanding Comedy Series was, again, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. And Outstanding Drama Series went to Game of Thrones. So, again, yeah. non-traditional media doing a pretty good job with you saw some Netflix winners. You saw some uh, uh, Amazon winners. You saw HBO out there. So pretty good night uh, all around. So we don't talk much NFL. I guess we just missed it. Right? I, I just yeah. missed it. And none of those things really excite me. And, yeah. you know, whatever. Yeah. Uh, we don't talk much <laughs> about the NFL, but over the weekend, the Buffalo Bills had a tough game. They played the uh, L.A. Chargers. And they got beat pretty bad, 31-20. to 20. It was they, – they ended up sort of uh, making it closer than it appeared. They got beat pretty pretty handily. Well, one of the players on the Buffalo Bills, it was so bad for him, Vontae Davis, he's yeah. a cornerback. Mm -hmm. He quit at halftime. At halftime. Not just quit yeah. the game. He, he retired from, from football. The, I know. Yeah, he retired right. from football at halftime. He had to later put out a, no, a letter that he wrote saying, I realize that I shouldn't be out there anymore. His body was just – you know, he's reached an age where he doesn't think that he could do it as well anymore, and he just pulled himself out of the game. The coach said later, I'm still not sure what happened. He communicated to us that he was done, and that was it. There were players after the game that just said, we don't know what happened. We just saw he wasn't there anymore. He right. didn't tell anybody. He just mentioned to the coach, I'm just taking myself out of the game. All right, so I just read Mark Leibovich's book, Big Game, yeah, yeah, about yeah. the NFL. yeah. Average uh, career length for an uh, NFL player? Tell me. I know it's not long. 3.3 years. Wow, man. Yeah. Yeah. And then a good number of them, of course, end up with brain damage for the yeah. rest of their lives. Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Oh, man, 24 hours, and uh, everything has changed when it comes to Brett Kavanaugh uh, and uh, the likelihood that he could end up on the Supreme Court. Ain't looking so likely today. What do you say, everybody? Hello, hello. Good to see you. Tuesday, September 18, it is the Bill Press Show. Welcome. Welcome to the program, and thank you for joining us wherever you happen to be in this great land of ours, coast to coast, we are there with you. Happy to join you this morning and grateful that you make us your pick of the morning to find out what's going on from a progressive point of view, our analysis of the news of the day, and of course, uh, some of the best guests that we can round up uh, from the Washington scene to bring you uh, up to date on their take uh, on what's happening and the big story, of course, uh, the startling turnaround uh, in the confirmation process for Brett Kavanaugh, Donald Trump's pick to take Anthony Kennedy's place on the Supreme Court, which was sailing along so smoothly until Friday and then until yesterday. And now uh, any chance that they were going to rush it through this week with a vote in the committee, come hell or high water, they were going to vote in the committee. Not now. Everything's been pulled off till a hearing next Monday. And by the way, one of our guests yesterday, uh, Carl Hulse, who is the uh, chief Washington correspondent for the New York Times, uh, he is on the front page of the New York Times this morning with the lead article about this issue. Um, Court pick an accuser set for public hearings on sex assault claim. 
as we come to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., joining you online on YouTube, youtube.com slash The Bill Press Show, joining you on Free Speech TV as well as on the radio statewide in Indiana on Indiana Talks and out in the greater Chicago area. Hello, WCPT, the progressive voice of Chicago. Sasha Buchard, who is the staff attorney for Lambda Legal, will be joining us to walk us through the legal aspects of the Brett Kavanaugh confirmation hearing and these latest charges. Senior Justice reporter Ryan Riley on all the latest happening at the Justice Department with uh, Paul Manafort and his plea deal with uh, Robert Mueller. And then Jordan Fabian, who covers the White House for The Hill, will be joining us as well. Uh, President Trump welcoming to the White House the president of Poland today. Not exactly the biggest hotspot on the planet, but they keep rolling in foreign leaders with Donald Trump um, so he can uh, pretend to be uh, to have some knowledge of foreign policy and they'll have a joint news conference this afternoon. Um, we will uh, get all the latest on that from Jordan Fabian. Yes, indeed, it was a remarkable turnaround. Uh, and we know what happened when uh, Senator Feinstein revealed at the end of last week, again, uh, to, that she had received a letter. The letter was received by her back in July. I have a le- copy of the letter right here. It's dated July 30 um, to Senator Feinstein. Uh, this Professor Ford went to her member of Congress, who happens to be Congresswoman <clears throat> Anna Eshoo, who represents the area just south of San Francisco, uh, she sent a letter to uh, Congresswoman Anna Eshoo and a letter to Senator Feinstein uh, detailing uh, a very um, troubling uh, confrontation that she had, incident involving Brett Kavanaugh back when they were in high school. Senator Feinstein revealing she had forwarded that letter to the FBI, uh, an anonymous letter. Uh, and then over the weekend, Christine Ford, the woman who wrote the letter, said, no, if this is going to become an issue in front of the committee, I don't want it to remain and I'm willing to come forward. took her a lot of courage, a lot of courage on her part to do that. I want to come forward myself, tell my own story, not have somebody else tell it for me. Uh, and that resulted yesterday in after Republicans ran from it as long as they could and tried any other way to avoid uh, having an, uh, reopening the hearings and having both this woman and Judge Kavanaugh testify under oath, they finally had to accept that that was the only way to deal with it, mainly because there were Republican senators who said, we're not, really, we're not ready to vote until we can hear what she says under oath. Again, I want to come back, just set the context here, as we did yesterday, by reading the key paragraph uh, from this letter. She says... To this is a letter to Senator Feinstein. Brett Kavanaugh physically and sexually assaulted me. Key words: sexually assaulted me during high school in the early 1980s. He conducted these acts with the assistance of, and we know who that is now. Here it's redacted: Mark Judge, a friend of his from high school. Both were one or two years older than me, and students at a local private school. Kavanaugh physically pushed me into a bedroom as I was headed for a bathroom up a short stairwell from the living room. They locked the door and played loud music, precluding any successful attempt to yell for help. Kavanaugh was on top of me while laughing with Judge. 
who periodically jumped onto Kavanaugh. They both laughed as Kavanaugh tried to disrobe me in their highly inebriated state. With Kavanaugh's hand over my mouth, I feared he may inadvertently kill me. And she goes on to point out that judge again leaped on top of the two of them, and the three of them just fell off the bed. Uh, and at that point, she was able to get up, run out of the room, uh, and lock herself in the bathroom until these two guys had left. And then she ran home uh, and had talked to a therapist about this. Uh, the therapist had made notes on this. She told her husband about this, identifying Brett Kavanaugh by name, but she had never come forward uh, until she wrote this letter to um, uh, Anna Eshoo and to Senator Feinstein. So when this letter came, when this came forward, the, the response on the Republican side was so disgusting and so and actually so confused. They couldn't get their story straight. Chuck Grassley right away. He had scheduled a vote on Thursday. And he he did everything he could to continue to rush that through. Now, remember, why are they trying to rush this through? They're trying to rush it through because the midterms are upon us. I think it's 48 days left. And they two things. They've got to get this through before the midterms because they could lose the Senate. They know that on, on November 6th. And also, this is Donald Trump's great big deal. This is the one promise he made to the conservative constituency. Don't worry about all my sexual assault stuff, and don't worry all that about all those crazy things I do. I'm going to deliver you the most conservative Supreme Court in the history of this country. And I've got one. Now here's my second one. He can't lose this. So they were desperately trying to rush this through and still have this vote by Thursday. And then one by one, first of all, those wavering Democrats stepped up. Joe Donnelly, Heidi Heitkamp, and Joe Manchin and all said, uh-uh, we're not going to vote until there's a hearing. Which is huge. That's huge. It's huge. You because, have to have the Democrats unified on this because then yeah. you only need you right. know, to convince two Republicans, if, mm -hmm. if this actually goes to a vote, right? Uh, you only have to convince two Republicans to vote against a, yeah. someone who is accused of sexual assault. And then Jeff Flake and Susan Collins came forward and says, we're not going to vote either unless there's a hearing. You have to believe that uh, Lisa Murkowski was there maybe saying the same thing, although publicly uh, she did not. And um, Mitch McConnell said, and that, uh, didn't want to have a hearing. And Chuck Grassley said, okay, here's what we'll offer instead. We'll have some conference calls. We'll have members. We'll have her on a conference call. People can be on the call if they want to, senators. And then we'll have him on a conference call. And then, you know, we don't have to have a, any hearing. And, you know, that didn't, that, that didn't work either. They were falling all over themselves. And meanwhile, the White House was off on an entirely different tangent. By the way, a surprisingly muted response in the White House saying, oh, okay. Um, we should have a hearing, and they should both should be able to testify, and we want the process to go forward. It may take longer, but so what? It'll still all work out in the end. So with all of this back and forth and back and forth, finally, here's where it is at this moment. Next Monday, which is the 24th of September, there will be another public hearing, Shades of Anita Hill and Clarence Thomas, where both Professor Ford and Brett Kavanaugh will testify under oath before members of the Senate Judiciary Committee and before the American people. And that hearing 
People are saying this morning that hearing may decide. No, that hearing will decide whether or not Brett Kavanaugh gets confirmed to the Supreme Court. No doubt about it. That hearing will decide whether what his future is and whether he would ever sit on the Supreme Court. So as we said yesterday, they were all over the place. Kellyanne Conway, early in the morning on Fox and Friends, uh, started, by the way, reportedly catching Mitch McConnell and Chuck Grassley by total surprise. The White House had not coordinated its response with members of the Senate. Um, so um, she said, um, yeah, we want to we hear what this woman has to say. She should not be insulted. She should not be ignored. She should testify under oath, and she should do it on Capitol Hill. But that's up to the Senate Judiciary Committee. They need to decide the forum. She should not be ignored, uh, and she should not be insulted. Um, by the way, not only, Kellyanne Conway says, not only should she testify, so should Mr. Kavanaugh. Judge Kavanaugh should also testify as to these 36-year-old allegations. Meanwhile, up on the Hill, again, Republican leader Mitch McConnell, uh, who is determined he's going to deliver a second Supreme Court nominee to uh, to Donald Trump. Remember, he, this, is, this is going to be his legacy. This, this is, is the exactly. guy that sunk Merrick Garland and got Neil Gorsuch on right. the Supreme Court. And, and he's going to make this happen and push it through. Yeah. And he's got a lot invested in this. And, you oh, know, yeah. And he had Chuck Grassley doing everything he could, the two of them, to push it through. But here you can hear Mitch McConnell. He's still not going along with what the White House is saying. He He's still he's still making trying to make a big deal of the fact that this occurred at the last minute. Now, an accusation of 36-year-old misconduct dating back to high school has been brought forward at the last minute in an irregular manner. Yeah. As we said yesterday, when it happened, when it was brought forward, it's not the issue at all. If it happened when he was in high school, if he, if, if what he's what she says he did in high school, it was sexual assault. It was a criminal act then. It's a criminal act today. And as we'll hear in just a minute, as Senator Susan Collins said yesterday, if what she says is true, that whenever it happened, that disqualifies him, should disqualify him, is, to use her phrase, disqualifying from the Supreme Court. Although, again, Mitch McConnell says, they knew about this all this time. Why didn't they tell us earlier? It is an accusation which the ranking member of the Committee of Jurisdiction has known about for at least six weeks. Known about for six weeks. Yet chose to keep secret until the 11th hour. Like, if that's their yeah. best defense right. of this whole <laughs> nasty, ugly situation, that's the best that they got is, yeah, they just waited to bring it up to us. That's not a good sign for them. And by the way, there are a lot of women who have spoken forward to say, first of all, this is an entirely, this is the early 80s. This is hard enough today, even with the Me Too movement, for women who've been abused and assaulted to come forward. It was like impossible back in the 80s. Sure. I mean, a totally different era. Where nobody, I mean, this happened, by the way, a lot more often, probably routinely, and women didn't just—they were not believed. They were 
um, they were insulted. You know, they were they were shamed if they came forward and said this. People impugned their character. Remember the 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 I forget the name. The woman who came out against the Kennedy nephew down in Palm Beach, whatever her name. But I remember that she came forward and they had that trial, and they pilloried her. They went back, and the newspaper went back, and they wrote all kinds of stories about, you know, accusing her of being this wild thing. I mean, she was asking for it, and her clothing, provocative clothing, and all that kind of crap. And it took the jury about one minute to find Kennedy not guilty, the Kennedy kid not guilty of this. So, I mean, this is, this is a very, very different time. And you can understand uh, many women have come out today to understand exactly why she, as a 15-year-old girl— would not come forward. This is one of those things that uh, I, I think a lot of of people, men specifically, will dismiss as boys will be boys type of behavior. Right. Right. Uh, and I think it was a lot easier to dismiss it as that, you know, as you mentioned, 30 years ago when this happened. Yeah. Uh, but there are still people that are trying to do it today. Sure. And they'll say, well, we don't understand why she didn't come forward. Well, of course you don't understand. Number one, you're not a woman or a girl, Right. And had to, hasn't happened to you, but um, so by the uh, as I mentioned, um, remarkably, Donald Trump behaved himself yesterday. You know his M.O. on this kind of stuff, like the women who uh, came out forward uh, came forward to accuse him of sexual assault, was to attack them, call them liars, say he was going to uh, that they were they that he was going to sue them all, and you know they were people of bad character, on and on and on and on. <laughs> we thought that's what we might hear from Donald Trump yesterday. For once, his staff was able to uh, re- restrain him and convince him that he, of all people, could not come forward and accuse her of being a liar and defend uh, Brett Kavanaugh on any uh, claim or charges of sexual assault. All, all Donald Trump did is he takes the line again about, I just wish they had come forward with this sooner. I wish the Democrats could have done this a lot sooner because they had this information for many months and they shouldn't have waited till literally the last days. They should have done it a lot sooner. Uh, but with all of that being said, uh, we want to go through the process. Yeah, well, let's, we'll go through the process. We'll let the process play. Uh, as I mentioned, Susan Collins was nabbed by uh, reporters in the uh, hallway yesterday. This was uh, It was pretty... Remarkable to see this. This actually went live on all the uh, cable channels, um, where she did say again she felt that there had to be a hearing. They both had to testify under oath, uh, and she said um, that she had talked to Brett Kavanaugh the night before about this, and she asked him about these charges. I asked Judge Kavanaugh when I had my final. Um, hour-long telephone call with him on Friday about the letter and the allegations that it contained. He emphatically denied that the allegations were true. And again, she said there's only uh, one solution here, and that is to bring them uh, both in, which, again, uh, Chuck Grassley reluctantly was forced into finally doing. Here's uh, Senator Collins. I want to have both individuals come before the Senate Judiciary Committee and testify under oath. Mm-hmm. Testify, and again, that will be done. Uh, it's going to be, i got to tell you, that's, that's going to be a real challenge because 
you've got on the Republicans 11 old white men up against one woman with yeah. her story. Yeah. Uh, they could blow this so easily, and like they did with Anita Hill. But again, that was a different time, and Clarence Thomas got through. Uh, and the one that I would think um, that I would, if I were a Republican strategist, I'd be the most worried about would be Orrin Hatch. Yeah. He's the oldest on the committee, and he was the meanest on Anita Hill. He got away with it then. He could not get away with it today. But he showed yesterday uh, CNN's Manu Raju catches up with uh, Orrin Hatch, uh, and who has also talked to uh, Senator uh, to uh, Judge Kavanaugh. Uh, and Hatch, he's already made up his mind. And you believe him? Yeah, I sure do. Uh-huh. Do you believe the accusers? Yeah. Well, I, I think she's mistaken. I think she's she's mistaken something. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she's mistaken. So. You, he could really embarrass himself. Not that he gives yeah, a, a not, rip, but not he could really embarrass himself. Uh, not that he's never done so. Right. right. Yeah. Right. Let me ask you a question because we've talked about uh, this all week and for a couple of days. Do you think? Do you think Kavanaugh gets through? Do you think this happens? No, I don't either. No, I, I changed my mind on this last yeah. night. I, no. I think he's, I think he's I, toast. I think he is too. By the way, and I maybe should have said this at the beginning. I believe every word she says. Oh, yeah, I absolutely. believe Christine Blasey Ford. By, the, uh, by also, I believed, I believed Monica Lewinsky. <laughs> I believed Kathleen Willey. There's a difference. Uh, I don't mean to drag the Clinton thing in, but there was a difference between what was sex between two consenting adults in the White House, not an impeachable offense. We're talking here about sexual assault. I believed Anita Hill. Again, there was a difference. That was sexual harassment in the workplace. Not good. Not good, but less serious than what um, Christine Ford says happened with Brett Kavanaugh. There's also this matter, by the way, which is really suspicious, of the letter. The letter signed by 65 women, which Chuck Grassley released immediately once uh, the the, the Dianne Feinstein letter uh, we knew that had gone to the Justice Department. Uh, It turns out that these 65 women who knew Brett Kavanaugh back when he was in high school— They'd been asked to sign this letter. They were not told ahead of time what this letter was all about. And I think this, this is really, not enough people have talked about this. Clearly, Republicans on the committee, the Republican staff and Chuck Grassley and probably the White House knew that there was this sexual assault background uh, incident in, in uh, Kavanaugh's background that might come forward and when it did, they wanted to be ready. So they had asked these women to sign this letter ahead of time, did not tell them why, did not tell them it was intended to defend Kavanaugh against a charge of sexual assault, and had that letter ready to put it out there immediately when this came when this became public. You know, to me, that is that's you know disgusting and and admitting admitting that Kavanaugh's wrong or that Kavanaugh's at fault. You know. What else really struck me yesterday is I was thinking about whenever Kavanaugh was first uh, announced, everybody, including there were some Democrats uh, that wrote these pieces about, oh, he's a girls basketball coach and he drives my daughters to school and he's the carpool dad and I trust him around my daughters. And then when he came up for the hearing, 
he had the bas- the girls' basketball team, all high school girls, mm-hmm. lined up behind him in the seats behind him. And in retrospect, that's a little creepy. Mm-hmm. Almost as if they were trying to sort of paint him as as this friend to young women, right? knowing that he has an assault against a young woman in his past. So on this letter, the last time I checked, by the way, of the 65, now that they know what the letter is all about, only two of those 65 women have come forward to say, we still stand behind Brett Kavanaugh. I'm not saying the others have dumped him, but only two of them are still willing to admit, now that they know what it's all about, they still would have signed the letter. Meanwhile, some 200 women from Christine Ford's alma mater, which is the Holton Arms School, a girls' school located near Georgetown Preparatory School, over 200 um, women, who high school uh, classmates of hers, or um, friends of hers at the time, at high school at the same time, same school, have come forward. They've signed a letter saying, we know her and we believe every word she says. Including, so, by the way, Julia Louis-Dreyfus, the uh, oh, oh, is that right? Veep. Yeah, she yeah, signed that letter. Right, right. So I think it comes down to this. I said this yesterday, and I still think this for the Republicans. Um, th- this is the this is the ultimate test. They have already, they have all, there's so much at stake here. They have already put one sexual predator in the White House. Do they really, really want to put another sexual predator on the United States Supreme Court? The American people don't want that. I think the Republican Party would ma- be making a huge mistake. Uh, before we take a break, a couple of the big stories um, that would get a lot more attention. Were it not for Brett Kavanaugh sucking all the oxygen out of the room here, uh, President Trump last night, following through, slapping $200 billion in tariffs on China, uh, yeah, launching indeed, and you can't deny it now, we are in a trade war with China. Uh, he had already put $50 billion, remember, in tariffs on China. China somewhat retaliated um, on soybeans and some other American products. So the president put slapped a two, another $200 billion on top of that last night and said if China retaliates any further, he's ready to go with a, an additional $257 billion. Uh, Larry Kudlow and others have to stop saying there's no trade war with China. We are in the middle of one. Secretary of State Mike Pompeo yesterday making a big announcement about um, – Give me your tired, your poor, your huddled masses yearning to be free. That is no longer the slogan of the United States. and might as well take down the Statue of Liberty. Pompeo announcing that the United States is reducing the number of refugees that will be allowed into this country next year from what it was last year, 45,000 down to 30,000. By the way, uh, the cap was set at 45,000 last year. We actually let in 20,000. There are 69 million people on the planet today, according to the United Nations, who are basically refugees, homeless, chased out of their countries by war or famine or whatever. Uh, The United States is saying at the most next year we will take in 30,000. And by the way, out of so many of those refugees, millions of those refugees come from Syria. Um, Last year we took in... I think there are 5 million refugees have left Syria. Last year, the United States took in 60, not 60,000, 6 Yeah. I mean. God, that's depressing. The the cap when President Obama took office was 110,000. Now it's down to 30,000. Yeah. We're just slamming our door to people who are, these are, these are not 
illegal immigrants. These are refugees who are fleeing persecution, famine, war, whatever. Uh, and we're basically saying, yeah, too bad. We don't want you. Uh, and finally, we may have a new Democrat, another Democrat running for president, except he's not a Democrat. He was a Republican. Then he became an independent. I'm talking about Michael Bloomberg, the former mayor of New York. I guess he's just got a lot of money and figures he can buy it. That's it. Yeah. That's all it is. You know, he's yeah. just bored and has too much money. And by the way, he's done some good things with his money. He's got sure. this great organization. I think it's called Every Town or something yeah, like that. Yeah, he started that. About gun safety. Great. He's spending $80 million this year to help Democrats win back the House and win back the Senate. Thank you, Michael Bloomberg. But running for president, I mean, come on. Michael Avenatti, Michael Bloomberg. What's going on? Who's Who wants that? That's the thing. Who's excited about a Michael Bloomberg run? I don't. Especially now, after we've no. seen what a quote-unquote businessman can do with the country when he runs it. I don't travel. I travel a lot around the country and talk to, to a lot of people about politics. Yeah. Nobody has ever come up to me anywhere <laughs> in an airport or restaurant or whatever, right. or after a speech or anything, and said, oh, I can't wait for Michael Bloomberg to run for president. Right. right? So much excitement. No. Excitement. Okay. <laughs> hey, we want to take a closer look at some of the legal issues surrounding uh, – Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court will be joined by Sarah Buchert, who is a staff attorney for Lambda Legal, coming up next year on the Bill Press Show. So uh, give us a break, a quick break, and then we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. This is the Bill Press Show. On a Tuesday, September 18, here we are, the Bill Press Show, live from Washington, D.C., our nation's capital, and our studio right here on Capitol Hill. Brought to you today by the American Federation of Government Employees, those good men and women of the AFGE, under the leadership of uh, President J. David Cox. They're the ones who keep our federal agencies running, not just here in Washington, but all around the country every day. Proud to get up and work for America every day, as they say. We salute them and thank them for their support of the program. Their website, check it out, afge.org. One of the many organizations that's been out front and involved in the uh, Kavanaugh nomination uh, from the very beginning is the uh, Lambda, Lambda Legal Fund, uh, whose uh, staff attorney, Sasha Bookert, joins us in studio. Sasha, it's nice to see you. Good morning. Thanks for coming in. Thanks for having me on the program. We um, want to get into uh, uh, more delving into what we can expect at, uh, at Monday's hearing. Uh, but first, after we, what we've already talked about, uh, generating some comments from Viewers and listeners, Peter? Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. We are on Twitter at BP Show, at BP Show. You can send us a comment there on any topic at any time, and we are always watching. Uh, my info on Twitter says the Predator-in-Chief needs to withdraw his Predator Judge nomination before <laughs> things get really embarrassing. David Steele says... It is surprising that a, a sexual predator should nominate another sexual predator, right? Yeah, I can't Birds figure out if it's poetic or <laughs> ironic, but it's disgusting. Uh, at it. uh, David Steele says, when will the Republicans spring Kavanaugh's 90% of documents on us at the last minute? Uh, I think that train might have uh, might oh, have left the station th already. The, yeah, but that that's a good point. Yeah. Sure. Yeah. At the last minute, they, they dumped 45,000 documents, right? Yeah. 
Yeah. Uh, and Joey says, holding this until the last minute is a strategy that I love. We're watching the Democrats play offense for once. You know, they're pretty darn good at it, too. Good job, everybody. Uh, and about Orrin Hatch, KG oh. says, Orrin Hatch needs to loosen that starched collar and let some <laughs> blood get to his brain. Find, <laughs> find us on Twitter, <laughs> at BP Show, at BP Show. <laughs> Oh yes, uh, Aaron Hatch. Maybe you know, be. I'm, I'm sure some Republicans would would wish that he might just have a cold on Monday and not be able to yeah, show up. Yeah, yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, or uh, some other, some other obligation. So, Sasha, you uh, you've been involved in this nomination. You uh, would you ag- ag- admit that at the end of last week, toward the end of last week, at any rate, it looked like this was a done deal for Kavanaugh, and there was no way Democrats could block it. Uh, no, I won't concede that at all. Really? Yeah, I felt like you still you know, thought there was a chance. Yeah, absolutely. You know, um, this is you know the fact that they haven't released ninety percent of the record, and um, the fact that they've eliminated so many safeguards shows that you know they're very concerned about what they are hiding. You know, and the fact that they're trying to ram this through all the way up through yesterday, they were doing everything they could to move the hearing forward on Thursday and, and have the vote and, and, and get Kavanaugh out. So, you know, we know that there there's there's a lot more than than this, this uh, these allegations as well, I'm convinced. But, you know, we felt like there was enough already in his record uh, beyond, you know, the credible allegations. And I want to say for the record that I believe and stand with uh, Dr. Ford in these serious and credible allegations. Uh, but, you know, there was enough in the record already that we felt like his nomination would be going down uh, regardless of the these these recent allegations. Well, uh, uh, it's good that you mentioned those because there were um, several items on where, where at at the at best, I guess, he gave misleading answers. Right. When yeah. it comes to his position with um, his role in torture documents right or the whole question of torture he said he had nothing to do with it in the bush white house yeah that's not true yeah i think there was i feel like there was a a clear lack of candor on a number of issues you know the issue of his involvement with the bush era torture memos you know goes back to 2006 when senator durbin you know questioned him before he moved to the dc circuit Mm -hmm. Uh, but along with that he also you know uh, has exhibited a, a, a stunning lack of candor with regard to other issues involving the you know involvement he had with the uh, emails that were turned over you know by a, a staffer that he you know vehemently right. denied as well as his involvement with other, that, with judicial nominations this is a guy that this his primary job was to vet judicial nominations and yet he said he had nothing to do with Charles Pickering and, yeah and he had played a role in that and then I, I guess the the other one was oh yeah on Roe v Wade where he said right. it's settled law and then this email comes out where he says yeah we got two judges now all we need is a third one right or something right yeah exactly so you know just a clear you know lack of candor and I will say you know the the his evolving denials are, are deeply concerning you know this is a little outside Lambda Legal's lane but you know his you know uh, statement yesterday stat- stating that. Um, he uh, felt that, um, you know, he would not, he, when he stated that he wouldn't do anything even close to, you know, what has been alleged, isn't a denial that he didn't do it, you know. And uh, so there's just a lot of uh, red flags, you know, regarding, you know, his most recent uh, 
uh, statements. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what happens on Monday. One thing I want to go back to just briefly, and I'm happy to talk about the legal issues, you know, that, you know, you brought me on here to talk about. One thing that really disturbed me, both personally and professionally, were the statements from Senator Hatch yesterday regarding the fact that she might have been mistaken. You know, that kind of gaslighting is completely inappropriate, you know, and uh, it's so important that, you know, we echo and affirm the statements from the Democrats in the Senate Judiciary Committee uh, uh, that this is a situation that needs to be investigated by the, you know, uh, FBI, and, and they shouldn't be moving forward with just a hearing before, you know, all of the witnesses can be interviewed. And at the very, very minimum, uh, Judge Kavanaugh should do what um, Dr. Ford has done and, and undergo a polygraph test. Uh, she did take a polygraph test, and she passed it. At least that was reported, right? Exactly. That, yeah. Yeah. Uh, he has not on this issue at any rate, right? Yeah. And his well, but yeah, you know, I hadn't thought about that in in terms of. So, what does happen? Senator Feinstein referred this to the FBI. They, to my knowledge, they have not said we are opening opening an investigation into this. Correct. That's correct. Now, does the fact that there's a public hearing negate? Any possibility of an, FBI, of an FBI investigation? Is it one or the other, or do both go forward? Do yeah, we know? Um, we don't, but I, you know, I, I think it's so important that the, you know, we continue to press for a full investigation because what, you know, obviously what the Republicans have been doing with this nominee is to try to ram him through and steamroll this nomination, no matter what the facts are. And you know, but if they just, you know, if they try to contrive a hearing where it's just you know, a Dr. Ford and Judge Kavanaugh with no corroborating witnesses or no full investigation, you know, no further polygraph test, you know, that's going to be an incomplete investigation. And they'll, they'll you know, obviously just move the, for, the, the vote forward on party lines. And, and that will uh, be um, an injustice. It, it will prevent the Senate from doing their job to provide meaningful advice and consent. And, and it will be you know, a stain on, on his nomination and an insult to the American public. What does Professor Ford have to do on Monday? Uh, just do what she's already done, and you know, and tell I just, her story. Absolutely, just tell her story. Tell tell the truth, you know. And she's already done that. And you know, to you know, uh, the idea that someone would you know put their credibility on credibility on the line like she has done, and face the you know slings and arrows from you know so many of the folks that have you know just come out with the most hateful statements that, you know, uh, uh, are, are unbelievable, you know, that 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 somebody would do that uh, for whatever reason, for some political reason is complete nonsense. You know, this is, you know, all she needs to do is to come and testify under oath and, and Judge Kavanaugh needs to come and testify under oath. And uh, but before that, again, I would just urge that there be, you know, a fuller investigation done before the hearing happens. Who has who faces the bigger burden here, do you think? Oh, Judge Kavanaugh, absolutely. This is a person who is, you know, repeatedly, uh, you know, misled or, you know, uh, made characterizations that aren't completely accurate all through the hearing. You know, this goes back to 2006. You know, uh, you know, we don't know. Again, as already as already been mentioned, we we don't have 90 percent of the record and uh, Lambda Legal in response to, you know, that dearth of information, you know, for the time that he served as staff secretary from 2003 to 2006, there were numerous LGBT-related scandals that happened when Kavanaugh was a staff secretary, including the federal marriage amendment, which would have constitutionalized a one-man-and-one-woman standard in the, in the U.S. Constitution. Uh, there, were, there were LGBT employees that were purged from the Office of Special Counsel. Uh, there, you know, Lawrence v. Texas was happening at the time, the hate crimes legislation, and um, they were, the White House was purportedly paying 
reporters uh, or writers like Maggie Gallagher, who is a you know vehement mm-hmm. anti-LGBT writer, to write stories in support of their policies. So we've moved forward with uh, making FOIA requests uh, expedited. And we filed already two lawsuits, you know, one against the Office of Manage- Management and Budget and one against the Health and Human Services Agency to, to get access to those documents. So we don't know what we don't know. And there's and, and I, I guarantee there is so much more. We you know, we've got a taste of it from the documents that have been vetted by the White House attorney, Bill Burke, you know, who's representing Don McGahn and Reince Priebus and you know, Steve Bannon, of all people. So, you know, this is, you know, the, 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 the very little in those documents has been revealed, but enough to show that there's so much more. So, so in in terms of uh, with Kavanaugh, um, among other issues, right? There, there are you're saying, as I hear you, particular issues impacting the LGBTQ LGBTQ community community that concern you. Were he to ever sit on the Supreme Court? Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. The Bush era, the Bush administration was one of the most homophobic uh, administrations in history, and he served as staff secretary and served in the the White House during the entire period. And we don't know his full involvement, so it's so important. I'm not saying that there isn't enough already in the record to justify opposing him. This is a person, you know, who uh, uh, praised Justice Rehnquist as one of as his quote first judicial hero. And uh, cited, you know, the dissent in Roe v. Wade, Rehnquist's dissent, and praised it, and and uh, it stated that, you know, that it was, you know, Rehnquist was responsible for quote, you know, stopping the freewheeling um, uh, judicial creation of unenumerated rights, and you know, directly uh, in opposition to the jurisprudence from Justice Kennedy, who uh, has written, you know, I don't want to canonize mm-hmm. Justice Kennedy, I think he's written some troubling opinions, but he also wrote Lawrence v. Texas and Obergefell v. Hodges and Romer v. Evans. Right. And, you know, so, you know, uh, Kavanaugh's clearly over and over, you know, turned to what he calls tradition and history to interpret the Constitution, which would, you know, overturn Roe v. Wade, would overturn, you know, um, uh, or gut out, you know, significant LGBT cases and people living with HIV. Are there any anti-gay rulings uh, in his record as uh, um, sitting on the first district district court of appeals here in Washington, uh, you know, not directly on point, but the way he has interpreted the Constitution over and over, and his, you know, one, you know, si- significant issue that uh, for us is his approach towards the Affordable Care Act. The Affordable Care Act's protections against discrimination for people suffering with pre-existing conditions uh, has a direct impact. A, uh, as a transgender person, you know, uh, we are considered pr- a pre-existing condition. Hmm. You know, so mm-hmm. if the if the lawsuit that is uh, inching its way forward in the Northern District of Texas in front of a judge, by the way, who has issued three nationwide preliminary injunctions, you know, uh, eliminating protections for LGBT people. This is the same judge that's hearing, you know, the challenge to the pre-existing conditions clause, you know, uh, protections in the Affordable Care Act. This judge is going, I guarantee this judge is going to issue a declaratory judgment uh, in joining the enforcement of the pre-existing protections in the Affordable Care Act. And that's going to move its way up to the Fifth Circuit. And the Fifth Circuit, because it's packed with Trump judges, five of them have already been nominated. And Trump has already been clear about, you know, uh, his animus towards the Affordable Care Act. You know, they're going to uphold uh, the lower court so, decision, and it's going to work its way up to Kavanaugh, who could okay. be the that's swing going, vote. That, that's yeah. going to go to the Supreme Court, and were he there, he would be, yeah. Yeah, he, yeah, so he, disastrous for the LGBT community and people living with HIV. I was going to say also with uh, the, the pre-existing condition would be people living with HIV. Right? Yeah, yeah. Another you know, serious concern we have is that there, he was also um, part of a panel who wrote a decision uh, called Priests for Life, you know, arguing that 
uh, it was too much of a burden for um, uh, religiously affiliated um, uh, hospitals and uh, to um, uh, even sign a form to waive their their uh, obligation to provide contraceptive care for um, their um, uh, um, employees. And you know that kind of uh, uh, you know that was that went far <laughs> far beyond uh, you know um, what the majority the of the hobby lobby. Thing? No, it was the case before that. It was the case that the Supreme Court, when it was split four four, um, punted you know because they didn't have enough a, 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 a vote to 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 rule on it. But it was a case arguing that you know um, it's too much to even sign a form. You know, it's not that they have to provide the care. They don't have to provide the care because of Hobby Lobby. But this case was arguing, but Kavanaugh was arguing that, okay, well, it's true that they don't have to provide the care, but they also don't even have to sign this form because that's too much of a burden on their religious beliefs. And as we all know, we saw Masterpiece Cake Shop get punted last term. And this is a question that's going to be up for the Supreme Court again very, very soon about whether we're going to create a gaping hole in our non-discrimination protections to carve out LGBT people. Uh, did you testify uh, against Kavanaugh at the uh, that that had that extra day of hearing for for witnesses. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I think or that, did Lambda Legal. Uh, no, the um, the hearing was set up to to bring forward uh, rightfully, uh, uh, in my view, to bring forward the folks you know who will be most directly impacted you know by you know the policies that Kavanaugh supported you know so we weren't there weren't people from advocacy organizations like Lambda Legal you know uh, that were providing testimony there were people that would be directly impacted in the individual states you know to come forward and tell their stories. Well, the reason I ask is, did any of these issues impacting the LGBT community come up at the hearing? I don't recall that they did, but uh, yeah. in, either in questions from the senators or in the testimony from individuals that la yeah. last day. One re ex one telling uh, exchange was was uh, ha occurred between Senator Harris and and uh, Kavanaugh, where Senator Harris, uh, you know, asked um, uh, him how he would whether he felt that Obergefell v. Hodges, you know, the the seminal decision holding that. Um, there's a fundamental constitutional right to uh, marriage equality in the U.S. Uh, Senator Harris asked uh, Kavanaugh whether that decision was correctly decided, and and uh, Kavanaugh, as you know, all of the nominees that have been trained, you know, by um, uh, Don McGahn and the rest of the crew, you know, they you know they they refused to answer that question. But what was telling he, was I mean, know, he didn't directly answer any question. <laughs> yeah, right. but but what was telling was that he did cite some dicta from Masterpiece Cake Shop saying, you know, from Justice Kennedy saying that the days of discrimination against gays and lesbians are over. What was telling about that was, A, that's not the holding in the case. That's not law. That has nothing to do with the actual holding in the case. The holding in the case was that they 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 found that there was you know some uh, hostility expressed towards the Baker's you oh. know religion from the Colorado Commission on Human Rights. So they punted it back. They didn't find you know that there was that they can you know create this carve out for protections. But but the fact that he cited that case and and tried to argue that you know that somehow legally that LGBT people are protected in a way that they weren't is complete nonsense because that case says the exact opposite, A, that, well, it doesn't say the opposite, but it, it doesn't say anything about that question. And then um, the, 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 it isn't whole, it isn't law. So, right. Yeah. yeah. There's so much, not, not to take attention away from Kavanaugh, but there's so much focus on the Supreme Court. I mean, obviously, rightfully so. He's young, were he there, like Gorsuch, there would be the most extreme conservative a, court. A We've, lifetime appointment. And a lifetime appointment, right. But meanwhile, there have been, yeah. um, I don't know, I've lost track of the number of judges confirmed by this Republican Senate at the appellate court level. Yeah. 
Uh, and some people who are really, um, <laughs> to use the phrase, bad hombres, right? I mean, um, most of them white, most of them extremely conservative. And again, those are lifetime federal appointments. Yeah, absolutely. And the Supreme Court hears, you know, maybe a couple of hundred cases a year. Yeah, that, and they hear hundreds of thousands. Mm -hmm. You know, and, we, you know, we've had, so, we've seen nominees that have called, you know, transgender children part of, quote, Satan's plan. We've had, you know, nominees question the legitimacy of the Supreme Court following a Burgerfell v. Hodges. You know, over and over, we, you know, last January we did a study and one out of every three Trump nominees has exhibited some kind of clear record of opposing LGBT protections. One you out know, of so, three? Yeah, one out of three. Of Trump's nominees. Mm -hmm. Yep, yep. And I can go through them if you'd like. But, you know, it's just uh, unbelievable that, you know, they're, these are all folks that are being pushed forward by the Federal Society and the Heritage Foundation and, you know, just <clears throat> absolutely hostile to civil rights in general, but especially to LGBT protections. You know, another issue that is less talked about is, is the, you know, the, you know, the fact that they're moving forward with a hearing without having 90 percent of the record. You know, that there's a lot of been a lot of media that that, that uh, focused on the fact that this is unprecedented. But this whole year and a half has been unprecedented in the Senate Judiciary Committee from someone who's doing this work on a daily basis. You know, one of the, you know, more wonkier issues is the issue of the blue slip, which was, you know, an issue that a tradition that we've had for, you know, over a hundred years in this country that allows home state senators to, you know, um, uh, give their consent for nominees that are being moved forward, you know, in their in their state. And uh, let me oh, just sorry. stop you. Cause I was, no, I, because I, I know the phrase the blue slip, yeah. but as, as closely as I followed it, I never really understood the way the blue slip works. So let's say I'm Senator Klobuchar from Minnesota. If somebody from Minnesota is nominated, I have a blue slip that can put that on hold? Is that the way it works? Yeah, that's the way it works. If and I'm the home yeah. state senator, mm -hmm. I I basically can hold it up or let it go forward. Yeah, right? and this has worked for over a hundred years. You know, the Republicans used it to the you know the hilt in the last administration to prevent you know uh, uh, President Obama's nominees from moving forward, and you know the. Senator Grassley, you know, and it was it's been a constant erosion of norms, by the way. It's not at, at first it was, well, OK, we're not going to allow, you know, um, uh, you know, one state senator to, you know, um, you know, uh, give their, you know, to, to we're going to overlook one state senator. And then now it's two. They just they tried to move forward this person named Ryan Bounds in Oregon to the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals and both uh, over the objection of both Senator Merkley and Senator Wyden, you know, Bounds, you know, and this is another case of, you know, homophobic, anti-LGBT, anti-civil rights. You know, this person made, you know, issued writings that, you know, said some of the most racist, homophobic things that I've ever seen. I cannot believe that he was even seriously put forward as a nominee. And finally, the nomination went down. But this is, you know, there are two nominees moving forward in the Sixth Circuit Court of Appeals in Ohio. So both senators objected, yeah. but it still went forward. Exactly. Yep. Yeah. Yep. All right. So knowing what we know and knowing this hearing is coming up and knowing what has come out about uh, Brett Kavanaugh, I'm going to come back to Brett Kavanaugh. Yeah. Um, what is your belief? Will Brett Kavanaugh be confirmed to the United States Supreme Court? No, I don't know. He's not going to be uh, confirmed to the United States Supreme Court. You know, the 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 people in this country, you know, uh, have already expressed their their concern. And, you know, that that the understanding is only going to of what is happening within within the Senate Judiciary Committee with, you know, these 11, you know, m you know, 99 percent of them are white men, you know, that, you know, uh, have expressed hostility towards women's rights and LGBT rights and every other civil right. You know, uh, I think that that message is, is yeah. Well, I, no. well, so will he withdraw his nomination or do you think they'll actually have a vote and vote him down? 
Um, I think he's going to withdraw. I mean, this is just me, you know, uh, reading the tea leaves. But I think that, you know, he's pu- he's painted himself in a corner. You know, he, you know, there's a lot of, there, you know, a lot of his supporters are arguing, though, well, this was 35 years ago. And even he said that in a statement, you know, but he's also categorically denied it. So he's he's boxed himself into a corner. And uh, I don't, you know, I don't see, you know, I, I again, you know, I unequivocally and categorically, to use his words, believe Dr. Ford. And, I, you know, I think that, he, you know, the truth is going to come out and he's going to need to withdraw. Right. Um, I think he I, I think he will withdraw rather than have the Senate um, have Mitch McConnell lose a vote. Yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. Um, and by the way, he withdraws. He still has a seat on the first district court here in in Washington, D.C. Exactly. Yeah. Right. Uh, so. You know. No unless cheer. he's impeached. No. You know, these are serious, uh, unless he's impeached. There we go. That's another whole level. Hey, Sasha, good of you to come in today. Thanks so Thanks much so. for good work you're doing there at Lambda Legal. It's lambdalegal.org. And we'll take a quick break. We'll be back with Ryan Riley from HuffPost. This is the Bill Press Show. Hey, friends. Thanks so much for listening to the podcast. And we want to make sure that you know about all the other exciting ways to get more exclusive content from the Bill Press Show. We're on Patreon. Did you know that? On Patreon. So to go to Patreon, P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash BP show to get videos that nobody else gets. All we ask is five bucks a month and you get access to daily commentary. And every week we put up a special interview just for our Patreon subscribers. Hey, it's a great way to support progressive media and get your hands on some fun, new, exclusive content. Thanks so much for supporting the show by going to patreon.com slash bpshow. Giving you everything you need to fight the Trump administration. This is The Bill Press Show. Live at youtube.com slash Show. There will now be a hearing, another hearing before a vote on next Monday, September 24, at which both Judge Kavanaugh and his accuser, Dr. Christine Ford, will testify under oath. Hello, everybody. Big change uh, in the landscape when it comes to the Kavanaugh uh, confirmation hearings, uh, and it all happened yesterday. Good to see you today. It is the Bill Press Show. We're coming to you live from our nation's capital, Washington, D.C., and our studio on Capitol Hill, right in the heart of the uh, action, just down the street from the United States Capitol building, where Republicans were scrambling yesterday, trying to get their story straight on how they were going to respond to uh, this letter, um, which was an anonymous letter until Christine Ford came forward, and then Republican and Democratic senators uh, demanded a hearing uh, before any vote on the nomination of Brett Kavanaugh. Covering the, and by the way, there's still this little matter out there about Paul Manafort reaching a plea deal with uh, Robert Mueller, and we're not sure exactly where that's going. But on all things related to the Justice Department, we're lucky to have in studio with us Ryan Riley from HuffPost, all dressed up for the occasion. Hey, Ryan, good to see you. Good to see you as well. Thanks for having Everyth- me. Everything uh, keeping you busy these days, it huh? It is, indeed. Keeping you hopping? It does. I, Manafort feels like forever ago, even though it was Friday. <laughs> <laughs> That's right. It was Friday. It was Friday. <laughs> and this is Tuesday. Yeah. And it does cool. seem like forever mm-hmm. again. Okay. Uh, we'll jump right into it and look forward to hearing from you what you think about both the Manafort plea deal and about the Kavanaugh hearing, uh, the latest on that. Send us your comments on Twitter, at BP Show. 
We'll jump right into it with Ryan Riley, but first... You got it. Just a couple of other stories making news. So marijuana continues to be less and less cool, apparently, because now there is a story that says Coca-Cola is about to jump into the marijuana business. Now, it's not necessarily the getting high marijuana. Let me explain. They are in talks with a company called Aurora to make a CBD beverage. So remember the CBD oil and CBD pills and things like that are not, that's not the part of marijuana that will, you know, uh, yeah, get you high, but it eases pain and inflammation and things like that. But didn't Coke start out with Co- the, the drugs in it? It started out with cocaine in it. Yeah. Oh, right. Yeah. Coca-Cola. Yeah, that's where it came it, from. It. So yeah. they actually still use some of those uh, ingredients in the Coke that they use today, but they take the psychoactive drug part mm. of it out of the ingredients. And so they're just going back to their roots. I guess you can put it that way. <laughs> yes, yeah, exactly. Yeah. They're just going right. back. But again, to, to be clear, these would not be beverages that would necessarily get you high, but it would be sort of like a pain relief uh, through CBD usage. So, it, you know, it's interesting. We'll put it that way. I mentioned the Emmys last hour. So there's going to be leaded and, and unleaded. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. Uh, I mentioned the Emmys uh, last hour. Well, it was a, for the first time in Emmys history, a winner proposed to his girlfriend on stage. Glenn Weiss won the Emmy for Outstanding director, <laughs> Directing for a variety special for when he uh, directed the Oscars. And he spoke about uh, his mother, who recently passed away, and how she said, uh, always look for the sunshine, and he said his girlfriend, uh, by the name of Jan Svensson, was his sunshine, called her up on stage, got on one knee, and proposed. Yeah, that was a pretty risky thing to do. What if she had said, mm, I'm not sure. I'm always scared when I That's see the That's sort of the controversy, too, where it's right, you're sort of like forcing someone into that public situation. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You no, know, right? A little bit. It's, you know, yeah. there's, 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 two yeah, things. yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, it would have been funny if she had said, I'm not ready yet. Yeah, I don't think so. <laughs> One final story, by the way. Paul McCartney, former Beatle, mm-hmm. has a new album out called Egypt Station, and it has debuted at number one. Weirdly enough, it is the first time that Paul McCartney's solo album has debuted at number, or has reached number one. It's his 18th solo album. It's the first time he's ever gotten a number one album in the United States. Sir Paul. We Sir him, Paul. Thank forgive you. me. Yeah. This is the Bill Press Show. Under oath on Monday, September 24, Judge Brett Kavanaugh and his accuser, Dr. Christine Ford, in front of the Senate Judiciary Committee. What a show that's going to be. Will It will decide, not may, it will decide whether or not Kavanaugh gets a seat on the Supreme Court. Hello, everybody. What do you say on a Tuesday, September 18? Great to see you today. And thanks for being part of the program, the Bill Press Show, live from our nation's capital, reaching out to you coast to coast, online, on the radio, and on television, on Free Speech TV, on WCPT, the great progressive voice of Chicago, and online on YouTube, youtube.com slash the Bill Press Show. Senior justice reporter for HuffPost, Ryan Riley, joins us uh, in studio. 
Um, before we get started, one more uh, reminder. Go to our website, uh, BillPressShow.com. Every day there are more reasons why we need to dump Trump. My latest book, Trump Must Go, the top 100 reasons, lays out the top 100 reasons why Trump must go and maybe one to keep him. Um, but up on our website, BillPressShow.com, we've got a place where you can go and add your reasons to mine, and we keep it going, the sort of an interactive uh, uh, case against uh, Donald Trump. Go to our website, BillPressShow.com, and also tell you all about you need to know about the book and where you can get your copy. Um, so, Ryan Riley, let's go get, get, put Kavanaugh on the sidelines here for just a second uh, and talk about Paul Manafort. How big a deal is this that Manafort um, reached uh, an agreement with Robert Mueller? I mean, it's significant. I mean, in really, in reality, it's sort of significant that he didn't do so in the first place because it seemed like there was so much evidence stacked against him. He was the only him. holdout. Right. And, like, I mean, there was just so much overwhelming evidence stacked against him. And, you know, all throughout the first trial, you could sort of see it coming. I mean, the only surprise really was there was that they there was that one juror who was a holdout on 10 of the 18 counts. and so they, But he's still convicted on eight counts and was exposed to 10 more there and was facing this other trial um, in D.C. So a lot of criminal exposure there, a lot of evidence against him. So it was sort of surprising that he fought it out this long. Essentially, what the plea deal will allow him to do is save some money on his legal fees um, and probably you know limit his, his potential prison time. Um, but it's re- the the dynamic that's really fascinating there is we don't know a ton about what he knows about Trump, right? Like his cooperation agreement could be cooperating for the most part aimed at cooperating against other people who were involved. A lot of people um, involved in a lot of his overseas work who have some things to worry about. Um, but the criminal expo, you know, as far as what he knows about Trump, we don't really know. If there was someone in a position to know about collusion between the Trump campaign and Russia, though, pa- Paul Manafort would have been. At the center of that, and the agreement—I uh, I was just—I don't have that exact language in front of me now, but it made a the, it, the written agreement says that he will cooperate, you know, like a fully, right, completely. I mean, all the adjectives are there <laughs> on any and all issues that Mueller wants to ask him about. So, correct, everything's on the table. Correct, and you don't get to choose who you're testifying or who you're, you know, performing, giving evidence against. That's not right. really an issue. So it's. It's either all in or, yeah, or, right, or not. Right. In other words, you're going to cooperate or you're not going to cooperate, right. but you're not going to cooperate a little bit, but not not into other areas. Correct. Right? And it seemed like that was some of the pushback, because obviously the dynamic here is is the yeah. is the pardon between man, you know, whether Trump's going to pardon Manafort. Right. So that was there is a little bit of back and forth after that plea deal initially came yeah. out to say, OK, well, does this mean effortless or Trump is sort of limited from this? And. There's sort of I think that the Manafort team is trying to give the impression that listen like oh, he's not uh, still not going to give you know give up anything against Trump. Well, so uh, the president's attorney Rudy Giuliani mm-hmm. uh, says this uh, fine you know he made his little deal he'll tell the truth but this has nothing to do with Donald Trump. Mm-hmm. <laughs> kind of hard to make that case, isn't it? It is. I mean, you know, this is his campaign manager. This, <laughs> this was, was campaign yeah. manager, right? And uh, he was also at this crucial meeting um, in the Trump in Trump Tower that where a lot of you know a lot of the focus is centered on where you're talking about important mm-hmm. people being at this meeting mm-hmm. where they thought they were going there. And Don Jr. said, "If it's you know, it sounds great." When uh, when told that Russia was offering right. up some yeah. material to help right. his, his father's campaign, and then Rudy also said, well, admitted that. Um, I think you just alluded to this. Up until the time that he reached his plea deal, 
Manafort's attorneys, defense attorneys, and Donald Trump's defense attorneys were working together. There was sort of a mutual defense agreement about how they were responding to Mueller. Mm-hmm. Um, I would imagine that any such agreement is null and void. <laughs> null and void. Right? Yeah, I think it's probably right, but I mean that could. It's hard to know because I think a lot of this was happening in public, where the you know because I think the lawyers would want to be very careful about making any quid pro quo deal you know behind the scenes or anything like that. Well, that's a question. But so much of it happened out in public where they were just like, okay, like public signal, bat signal, you know, here's yeah. what we're going to do, and right. and they you know the Giuliani's team goes back and you know, oh, and Trump even signals, you know, I really I really think, you know, he's hanging in there. Tough, you know, tough Paul Montefiore right. is hanging in there. You know? So what if there were any com- any conversation in that as part of that agreement mm-hmm. about a pardon? Would that be obstruction of justice? I mean, I think it would be so protected by attorney-client privilege that it would probably be tough to, to get at. Get. Um, I th- but I also think that the lawyers are probably cognizant of not having that sort of an overt conversation about that. I mean, mm-hmm. at least on Manafort's side. Manafort had a good legal team. Um, <laughs> yeah. I don't know if you can say the same about Rudy Giuliani, but, <laughs> you know. Yeah. Um, Manafort could still face some time in prison, right? Yeah. I, I think mean, it's, he's, he's not totally off the hook. Yeah, I think he's got about 10 years of exposure there, which I mean, you know, um, yeah, it's it's a significant chunk of time. But I think that what his lawyer said afterwards is that he was looking to protect his, his family. Um, so he's probably going to lose a good chunk of that, his um fortune. Actually, the, I think that the money that they seize from Manafort could end up just paying for the entire Mueller investigation. So it takes away one of Trump's favorite talking points, which is that, How oh, this is a big is waste costing. of money. Right. So, I mean, that's just well, going to sort of swamp it. You have the whole thing. It, yeah. yeah. So it sort of pay, pay, pay for itself. All right. So plea deals with Mueller. Mm-hmm. George Papadopoulos, Michael Flynn, Rick Gates. Um, there's someone else before Paul Manafort. Um, the, the, Another person, but anyway, this is like the fifth one, right? Mm-hmm. It was, it was... I think that's right. Yeah, yeah. There's oh, there was that guy who, um, uh, the lawyer who, if he was sort of a, a, a little, uh, the uh, attorney. Michael Cohen's the one I was thinking. Michael oh, Michael Cohen. Cohen. Yeah, he right. was Michael sort of. Cohen. Yeah, that's right. right. Yeah, he will. No. Michael Cohen was a big one. So, he was technically part of Mueller, but yeah. So who's next? Yeah, I mean, I I don't know. We have you know Flynn now. We scheduled the. Uh, but I mean, he's already meets, reached his deal, right? But who hasn't? Yeah, who hasn't yet? So I think Roger Stone is the obvious next sort of target. <laughs> um, I mean, he's the one who all these witnesses are going in and testifying against before the grand jury. So he's yeah. sort of like next on the chopping well, block. Two, two, I think two of his aides or employees have already been called in in front of the grand right. jury. Right. Yeah, and I think one refused to test it, and there's some yeah. back and forth about that. Um, but yeah, he's obviously sort of a target of the investigation. Unclear mm-hmm. what... Donnie, Donald Jr.? Donald Jr., I think is... The, I mean, that's the big one. Because that's... I mean, he called the meeting. That's going to be that that line, though, I think, that like one... Like, Mueller has to have his ducks in a row because as soon as that happens, the investigation, you know, could be shut down by... I mean, he... Trump's just going to lash out as soon as... Right? As soon as his son gets... So he has to really, and I think Mueller is sort of, you know, playing 3D chess a little bit here where he's like anticipating these next moves. If you look at what happened with Manafort on Friday, you know, we knew, okay, Mm -hmm. oh, there might be working at a plea deal, but the plea deal wasn't going to include include cooperation about Trump. That was what came out publicly before that. And then all of a sudden, it was this big reveal moment in court where they're like, it includes cooperation, which I mean, in retrospect, kind of makes sense because why would he like, why would Mueller agree to that? But because, I think also it's like partly what Manafort is – Manafort's kind of part of the stage managing here, right? Because I don't think Mueller's team is saying anything to anyone. 
So they're just sort of silent. So all the stories you hear about them, you know, oh, talking, it's sort of fed out through Matterport's team or the defense team rather than through. Does it indicate yeah. that uh, Mueller is in the final stages, like he's wrapping up or <laughs> just getting started? I think referring, um, you know, the Cohen case and some other cases to other part components of the Justice Department sort of does indicate that they're not looking to, like, extend this out forever. Um but I think that there's going to be some sort of final action, some sort of final report. I think the report is still likely the most um, most likely thing to come out of this, just a report that sort of lays out what exactly um, you know, Trump did wrong, whether or not that's referred to Congress. And when that's referred to Congress, of course, is going to be a big deal. So I saw one story last week where everybody has been saying, and you just indicated, that what Mueller does, the Department of Justice rules, uh, he issues a report and it, it, and he sends it up to Rod Rosenstein mm-hmm. and Jeff Sessions, and they Jeff de- Sessions would be cut out of it. Just cut, he would be cut yeah. out of it, mm-hmm. just Rod, right? And then they would decide whether or not they refer it to Congress. Right. They could, they could under their rules just yeah. hold on to it. Yeah. Um, I think that's forget- less likely though. If Dems take the House and then they're going to get that report, I think that report comes out somehow. Okay, and I don't think R- Rod. What I was asking is yeah, uh, yeah. that. But apparently, back in the Watergate days, um, that the, the justice that the special counsel Leon 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 Jaworski right sent the report directly to Congress. Mm-hmm. Now it has not been released yet, but it went to Congress, not through the Justice Department channels. That, mm-hmm. that so that so. But what you're saying, I guess, is. One way or the other, Congress is going to get this report. Yeah, I think that's right. I think that, like, and then they will decide whether or not what they do with it: exactly. oversight hearings or impeachment hearings. Right. I think that's where you know this is ultimately going to come down to. And I don't think that my guess would be that the Deputy Attorney General doesn't sort of stand in the way or try to squash this. I don't think that that's where he wants. He's already sort of picked his lot in history where he's going to be. Um, Could Donald Trump um, order them not to release it? They could, but I think that would. He could, in theory, but I think that would just sort of cascade down the line and you'd find someone eventually who's maybe willing to do it, but it would be sort of a Saturday Night Massacre sort of situation because I don't think anyone's... Maybe that's not as extreme of a circumstance. It wouldn't be so far down the line that you could find someone willing to not do that, but I think that report's going to come out and that would be a temporary measure. I mean, talk about obstruction of justice, right? Yeah. seems to me that that would certainly fit the definition. Yeah, I mean, but, you know, he hasn't hasn't stopped him from intervening before. I mean, we saw that even last night with this new decision to sort of... Uh, re- yeah. Right, exactly, right. Yeah. The latest uh, the, the, the decision where... Well, tell us that he... So he issued an order to the Department of Justice right. last night. Yeah. I mean, I think that the... To what? <laughs> to... So basically, there are some um, pages of Carter Page's... The FISA application for Carter Page to basically spy on par- Carter Page, essentially, when he was um, on when he had just after he left the Trump campaign, but still during the campaign um, because of this, they thought, you know, these weird interactions with Russia. Um, And he and what Trump did is order them to release very specific pages of the FISA application, which had already been sent out and has already been released in heavily redacted form. But there are, Mm -hmm. you know, a lot of it's been redacted. Right. So what Trump did is say these specific paragraphs are the ones that I want to be released, but not these other parts that have been redacted. So it's sort of a selective process of what they're going to release. And this will basically what will happen is, I mean, this is all for Fox News and sort of this like, <laughs> you know, it's sort of this, this cycle that goes over and over and over again where it's like, OK, now Trump's going to order this and now 
Capitol Hill, his supporters on Capitol Hill will make a big deal out of it. Fox News will cover it, mm-hmm. and then the president will tweet about it, and it goes over and around and around and around. We've seen this a lot with um, the FBI text messages between these former yeah, FBI right. officials. And he also ordered, by the way, all of the all of their text messages, even the ones that had been previously redacted to be released, or at least all of those that relate to the Russia investigation, as well as asked for anything that Comey might have sent via text message or the former deputy um, the former deputy of the FBI sent, yeah. So he basically asked for a bunch of people's text messages to be publicly released, as well as these pages of Carter Page's um, FISA application. So, I mean, I guess the president has the authority to do that, right? But yeah. we haven't seen any other president, maybe since Richard Nixon, do that. I mean, he treats the Justice Department as basically his White House staff, right? Yeah. That he can order them to do... Again, I keep coming back to this phrase obstruction of justice, but I mean, he treats them yeah you know, like he would you know just somebody's working right in the White House, right? Yeah. Uh, and is is that the role of the Justice Department? Yeah, I mean, I think that's what's interesting with this is like there's could be big privacy act potential for release to be for these. Text this, this is an ongoing released. investigation, right? It's an ongoing investigation. I mean, that's yeah. I mean, it's, we see it was because, always hands off right. any ongoing investigation right. until Donald Trump. Right. And uh, yeah. And I think that, you know, presidents sort of went out of their way to make sure in the and most presidents have went out of their way to make sure it didn't look like they're interfering. And, and yeah. Trump doesn't have any sort of regard for any of that. So he just sort of, you know, tweets about ongoing investigation, speaks about I mean, it comes up in a number of even things that have nothing to do with him where he'll say this person should get the death penalty. It happened in that with that um, that attack in New York where the guy sort of ran down the bike lane. Yeah. Um, right. And you know, killed a bunch of people in his car. Death penalty called for. That's going to be a complicating factor now for prosecutors because, you know, it's going to look like Trump is influencing that decision. So, yeah, it's 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 something that he's. But what you're saying is, so he'll do. give this order. The Justice Department may or may not comply. Uh, the stuff will go up to the Hill. Yeah. Devin Nunez will hold a big news conference. Fox News will cover it. Donald Trump will tweet about it, and nothing will happen. I mean, I think other than shifting public opinion, which is a big component of this, because all this is the the end game here, of course, is because that report is going to be public and because this is probably going to come down to impeachment rather than any sort of trial. It's all about public opinion. So if the public, which a lot of Republicans and Trump supporters now believe that the FBI is biased against Trump, believe that, you know, it's this sort of, you know, deep state operation against him, that's going to be a big a big factor here because right. they can just say, oh, this is all part of this investigation. Well, Rudy so Giuliani, uh, yeah. of course, Trump has been saying that. Rudy Giuliani has been saying that. Right. Uh, Republicans on the Hill, some of them saying that. And Rudy says, in fact, he's admitted that his whole the whole purpose of his propagandizing mm-hmm. is to influence public opinion right. against Robert Mueller. So when the report comes out, nobody's going to believe it. Right. right. Okay. Uh, last week, I saw, I forget the exact number, but I saw some a couple of polls where 70% of the American people, it's pretty high, mm-hmm. believe in the Mueller investigation. Yeah. So this strategy ain't working. It is working for It's working his for base. his base. Right. Everybody says his base is base. Yeah. BS is base, 35% <laughs> of Americans, right? But it's not working for the general American public. Wouldn't you agree? Yeah, I think that's true. I, but I th- also think it just sort of like... There are going to be long-term consequences here in terms of this, these attacks on the FBI, these attacks on, you know, investigators. I think that's going to have these long-term implications that we're going to be seeing for years in, in courts and playing out in juries and whether or not they're going to, you know, trust um, in what, you know, an FBI agent testifies to on the, st- on the stand. Because I think that's going to be a problem essentially going down the line and one that, you know, 
we're going to be dealing with for years. Uh, you alluded to it. I want to ask you more, a little bit more about the the the, the uh, impact of this Manafort uh, plea deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's bad news for Donald Trump. It's also bad news for some of the lobbyists and lobbying firms in Washington, D.C., right? It is. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I think that because there's Because he, he reached out to others to right. help him, right. and there was a lot of money involved. There was. And guess what? <laughs> yeah. Republicans and Democrats alike, I think that it's going to be a— um, yeah, there could be some people. He found in. some players. So. He did. Yeah, and I think that like the, the there's you know exchanges that were sort of laid out here that it was clear that so the idea was that they had this this sort of <laughs> I think they called it a hot dog stand a European hot dog stand <laughs> where that they essentially it was a, a this front organization that was actually just you know Ukraine funded you know essentially it was operating by the uh, the president of Ukraine but it said like European Center for Ukraine or you know something along this nature. Yeah. Um, so that's sort of what they funneled everything to, and like so. But all of the some of the employees of these these firms that were doing work for this, you know, knew that, and like said, you know, you have to sort of see past that, and you know, don't fall for that. That it's you know, this isn't actually the client. The client is actually you know, the president. So are there other uh, lobbyists in town who could be? Mm-hmm. brought in as being part of this money laundering operation. Yeah, so Podesta is the big one. I think that, you know, everyone sort of knows the name. Um, right. That could be, um, yeah, I think that's where that could potentially go. There's also a former member of Congress, a Republican, whose name I'm blanking on right now, but he has also sort of, um, yeah, looped into it. So I think that there's, yeah, there could be some implications okay. long term. And that could go in his totally separate direction, which would also take the talking point away from Trump that this is only about Republicans and aimed at Republicans if they end up do getting Podesta. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Pode- I mean, Podesta's firm is still in business, but he's it's no longer there. Or is his firm? Yeah. I'm de- under. I forget now. Whether I, I know. think they sort of faded a little bit. Yeah. Um, he's definitely no longer there. Um, right. But also, that's one of the cases that they referred um, up to New York. So I think that that could be, um, you know, how that sort of plays out. So that's not going to extend the Mueller investigation necessarily, but it's going to be an outgrowth of the Mueller investigation. Sure. Okay. Yeah. Uh, meanwhile, uh, in your uh, with your hat on as senior justice reporter <laughs> for uh, for HuffPost, um, uh, the Senate Judicial Committee is going to be holding a special hearing on Monday. Yeah. Yeah. Should be a um, big one. Will the uh, will the FBI conduct any investigation into the charges uh, laid out in this? Letter from uh, Christine Ford. No, not unless the uh, the White House asked them to, which isn't really in their interest to to do at this point. Um, it's interesting with you the, the FBI line. takes orders from the White House. Well, specifically in these cases, basically they are operating as a background investigator for the White House, so it's not improper in this in this matter because that's sort of what they're they're doing. So if the White House came back and said, "Hey, can you guys look into this a little bit more for us?" They'd you know be willing to do this, but the timeline is really fascinating here because had that information been revealed as part of the sort of had that letter been revealed or sent along as part of the formal sort of normal background check process um, I think that that's something that the FBI would have looked into and investigated further and might have turned up and then but because that wasn't turned because Feinstein you know held that letter back didn't turn over to the FBI and only turned it over after the investigation and after the public hearings. Um, it was just sort of something that the FBI took and you know forwarded along to the White House, but that's sort of the end of it, um, unless the White House comes back and say, hey, can you dig into this further for us? Right. Um, uh, from a legal point of view, uh, let's say this what, what she says happened happened. Mm-hmm. 
uh, it was sexual assault, it was a criminal offense, but the statute of limitations has long passed, correct? Yeah, I don't think this is really a criminal ma- like matter at this point. It's it's you know it's mostly about might have been at that point. But, oh, yeah, for sure. I mean, yeah, but, I mean. But not now. Right. I mean, had he been charged in any way with that, I mean, there, I don't know what the exact criminal statutes were in Maryland at that very time. But, I mean, this is a crime that, a potential crime that could have resulted in some, you know, lifelong consequences. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I, there's not going to be a criminal matter at this point. It's going to be just about, you know, who, who believes who and who's going to stand up for who. So the role of the Justice Department in this basically doesn't exist. It's really up to the Senate. Right? Yeah. Yeah. And it's a becomes a political decision about whether the, whether they believe her or believe him. Yeah. And want to go forward with this nomination. Yep. That's no exactly other right. legal consequences that you see. Yeah. I think that unless the White House I mean even if the White House came back to and said to the FBI we'd like you to look into this further it wouldn't be part of a criminal investigation. It would be it's sort of a separate track where they're just doing background investigations and finding out whether or not Kavanaugh is, you know, is worthy of going into an important spot like that, or if there's anything that, because it's sort of a national security issue. But I mean, this guy's been through a lot of background checks before because of this, um, because of his position he's in now as a federal, you know, federal judge. So, yeah, it's something that had to come up earlier in the process. I think they would have looked into it further, but because it didn't come out until after the hearing, it's just something that FBI passes along to the White House and says, you know, hey, here you go. All right. So how long after uh, how long will we have to wait until after the midterm elections uh, before Donald Trump fires Jeff Sessions? Ooh, uh, interesting question. I don't I'm not. hmm, I think it's going to likely I think he gets fired, but I think that his lawyers might have some influence there in terms of when they want to wait till the Mueller investigation's over. Because if he fires Jeff Sessions, that's going to like, you know, just keep put things into overdrive in terms of the inter- interference. It looks like you're interfering with an ongoing investigation. Um, and you've made clear in public statements at this point that you're not happy with Sessions because he didn't interfere in an ongoing investigation. Yeah. Um, so I think that, yeah, I think that it w- they'll wait maybe until the Mueller investigation's over. But the other issue is how are they going to get somebody through, depending on what the makeup of the Senate is like. Um, I think there might be a few Republicans there who, you know, like Jeff Sessions and don't like the way he was maybe treated and how that's going to play out exactly. You know, if if unless the Mueller investigation's already ended, it's a big liability for him to see sort of leave that spot open. Yeah, because it was just a couple of weeks ago. I mean, things happen so fast here. That everybody was was saying categorically, mm-hmm. it was it was a, it was basically a done deal. Yeah. That as soon as the midterms were over, Jeff Sessions was out of a job. Right, he's it, already made up his mind. He was going to fire him, and it was just a matter of you know waiting until then. Um, so you think Jeff Sessions might have a little, little longer lease on life based I think on Mueller, Robert Mueller. If his lawyers can overcome his his instincts, I think that that's <laughs> yes. If Trump's lawyers if, can overcome correct, his instinct. Correct, yeah. Right. I think that's the big deal. Yep. What do you yeah. think, Peter? I think he's toast. <laughs> I, I think he's toast. I, I think Donald Trump is just waiting for the perfect opportunity. I mean, whether that happens after the midterms, who knows, but he's toast. But I think Ryan does raise an interesting point. Will he, depending on the makeup of the Senate, right. will he be able to get anybody to take his place confirmed? Yeah. Right? I think that's a big, big question mark. Yeah. <laughs> It's not certain that they'll get somebody through there. But, of course, the way Donald Trump treats the Justice Department, who needs an attorney general? Right, and that's the issue. I mean, is he's his s- own communications director. <laughs> he's his own right press secretary. He's his own 
the foreign uh, secretary of state, he could be his own attorney general. Right, because, I mean, here's the issue is that whoever does take that nomination and, I mean, really wants to go in for this is basically like saying that, yeah, I'm going to be this guy's, you know, is is it's someone Trump thinks is going to do his bidding. And that's going to be what all the questions are about. And it's going to be this totally. weird dynamic where, you know, you're they're coming in and saying, are you just here to do his bidding? And like. And he has, and the, whoever the nominee is has to say, uh, no, yeah, the law, I'm going to stand up for the law, blah, blah, blah. And like Trump will be like, wait, I'm <laughs> putting you wait, in there. Wait, wait, so there's going to have to be like wait. some level of like lying or like, you know, wait, you, sound like another, you sound like another Jeff. Right. Right. Yeah. We don't want somebody independent going in here who's <laughs> no. going to make their decisions based on the law and the facts. Sounds terrible. God forbid. All right. Ryan Riley, great work. Great stuff. Thanks so much for coming in. Sure. At HuffPost, HuffPost.com. Meanwhile. Uh, President Trump exhibiting unusual restraint yesterday when he was asked about the the latest on the uh, Kavanaugh delay. Uh, what's going on? Jordan Fabi is going to tell us when he comes up. Covers the White House for the Hill. He's coming up next here on the Bill Press Show. Quick break, and we'll be right back. This is the Bill Press Show. Tuesday, September 18. Here we are, the Bill Press Show. Good to have you with us today. Coming to you, as always, from uh, the capital of the free world, Washington, D.C., and our studio right here on Capitol Hill, where we're brought to you today by the International Association of Firefighters. Under the leadership of President Harold Schaefberger, the men and women of our fire departments, you see them every day in your communities. We all count on them. They never let us down on the front lines, protecting American families every day. We have a great fire department just right across the street here from our studio on Capitol Hill. Uh, and check out their website at IAFF.org. Busy days at the White House, dealing with the uh, Kavanaugh nomination, of course. New tariffs against China announced last night. New uh, instructions to the Justice Department announced by the president last night. And the president of Poland coming in today for a state visit. Well, not an official state visit, but a confab and a joint news conference. Keeping people like Jordan Fabian, who covers the White House for the Hill, very, very busy. Hello, Jordan. Good to see you. Good to see you, Bill. What's going on? What's the big deal with Poland? Well, this <laughs> one of the big issues we have with Poland. It's hardly one of the big hot spots, right? It's not, but he's one of these leaders in Europe who toes more of the nationalist line that, that Trump wants. So he's he's giving him a platform at the White House. Yeah, yeah. I I, I never remember head of Poland coming here before, but whatever. Right. Uh, and and the news conference today. So um, I, I was going to ask you, so the two of them get together. We've seen this so many times, right? Um, you've been to a lot more than that I have, but each each leader gets two questions routinely. Right. Don't have to be on the topic of what they talked about. That's right. So, uh, I mean, how much news was there yesterday? It seemed like a mountain of news yesterday. So, any anything from uh, the Kavanaugh fallout to uh, the president's decision to declassify these documents related to the Russia investigation, I'm, I'm sure might come up uh, later on today. Or the tariffs, maybe, too. Or the tariffs, or the fact that uh, the U.S. is only going to let in 30,000 refugees next year. I mean, there's really a number of directions you can go. So, when is the uh, next White House briefing? Good question, Bill. It's, <laughs> I have no idea. Do, do, do you know? Has anybody counted how many, how few were held in September? Well, last uh, uh, so last week there was one, but I think the, before that there, it had been 19 days since the 
last briefing. So if you go by that, that means there's only been, I, I think, one this month. So far. Maybe not, two. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Um, so there has not been, however, I think you were on vacation when we did have a White House town hall meeting uh, yes. at the National Press Club, which I attended. And that was one of the co- topics of conversation, of course, is uh, the importance of having briefings and uh, the troubling fact that they had not been scheduling any briefings. But the White House has not announced our new official policy is no briefings, right? Or um, very seldom having briefings. It's just happened. Huh? Right, yeah. It's it's quietly faded into the background. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know if there's is a that single... important? Uh, of course it's important. I, the, the reason these briefings happen, and they can seem like kind of a show for television sometimes, and they, it's, sometimes it seems like there's not a ton of information coming out of them, but it is the chance for White House reporters every day to put a representative on the White House on the record in front of the cameras to answer the questions about the news of the day and, and what this administration is doing. And that opportunity has gone away uh, with the uh, re- ever-receding briefing. Uh, you know, you can try your best to go ask somebody in the press office or somebody else what about what's going on, but a lot of times those questions aren't even getting answered in the background. So, uh, yeah, this is the White House stepping back from its obligation to answer to the American people about what it's doing. And it, it also, I mean, I've heard this argument made, it's not only good for the American people and not only good for members of the media as a, as a convenient forum, but it's also good for the administration. Right, right? Be, I mean, right because in, in times of crisis, uh, a lot of people believe in, you know, in communications that the best solution is just to rip off the Band-Aid. So if you have a spokesman go out there on a day like yesterday and just answer all the questions that are going to be asked, it's easier to move past something. Uh, but instead, they've taken the approach of turtling, really, when when things go bad and, and also waiting for the president uh, to get out there and say something himself. And I think that's an, a reason why you've been seeing the briefings uh, become uh, fewer and fewer is that uh, they are. there have been many times where the president has contradicted something his spokesperson, Sarah Huckabee Sanders, or otherwise has said, so they're wor- wary about going out there and saying something definitive on his behalf. Uh, that question, one of the members of the board, uh, the White House Correspondents Association at the town hall, said that when they raise this issue, that one of the things that they hear is, well, Sarah doesn't like them because people shout questions at her. Right. Well, I mean, I mean, y- yes. You know. I mean, there there is this issue of decorum. Uh, I would say that there are ways the White House can answer can fix this. Uh, and I get this is a little inside baseball, but the the Sarah Huckabee Sanders, I, I think, on average, and this is a rough count, probably answers questions for fifteen minutes a day. Mm-hmm. Compare that to her predecessor, Josh Ernest, would answer well, questions for an hour sometimes. I, yeah, and, I was there. Just it got to be a day. bit much, yeah, even right. for us. No, some of his right. We'd leave and say, "Oh my God!" So the the reason some reporters uh, are shouting those questions at the end is because they're not getting called on. So if she would just answer questions for a longer period of time, you'd have fewer uh, reporters. Shouting questions. You know, they're not shouting for the sake of shouting for the most part. Right. So uh, yesterday, uh, the uh, but, you know, as you point out, while there have been fewer briefings, the president 
does make himself available, maybe more so than others, and he, and he loves that, right? I mean, being asked questions, he's, it, it looks like he's always looking for those opportunities. Yesterday, after, the, I forget, some other meeting about jobs or something in the workplace, he was asked a question about uh, Kavanaugh and about this latest that it looks like uh, they may not have a vote because of this later, the letter that came up. Uh, and here is the president. He was su- sort of surprised everybody, I think, by uh, how um, restrained he was in his response to the latest in the Kavanaugh confirmation mess. I wish the Democrats could have done this a lot sooner because they had this information for many months and they shouldn't have waited till literally the last days. They should have done it a lot sooner. Uh, but with all of that being said, uh, we want to go through the process. Yeah. We want to go through the process. We wish it had happened sooner. He didn't attack her. He didn't attack the Democrats, really, in terms of uh, that this was these were outrageous questions. Yeah, let's let the process take this off. What happened? Yeah, it's, you're right. It's an interesting contrast. I mean, you still had him out there defending Brett Kavanaugh yes, and, and saying right. he's a fantastic guy and, and he, you know, he doesn't believe he could have done anything wrong. But, um, Yes, I mean you're right to point out that you know compare this to something like Roy Moore, where he was much more animated and and uh, in criticizing the women who came forward and, and defending Roy Moore. There is a contrast, and there's it seems to be that the president this time around for some reason has has listening to the advice of those around him. Uh, you saw Kellyanne Conway go out on, at the White right. House yesterday morning and pretty much set the tone, saying uh, you know we want to hear this woman out and uh, we need the process to play out, and that's the line you heard the president tow. Um, it's interesting because the president, on many other issues, has basically ignored the peop- the advice of the people around him and his advisors. Um, but on this one, he seems to be taking the cues from them. Uh, I haven't really figured out why that is yet, but uh, there does seem to be a change there. Could it be uh, because of um, his own past and the fact that he is vulnerable on this issue himself, and it could really backfire if he, with the women who've accused him of sexual assault then comes out defending somebody else who's accused of sexual assault. I mean... That could have something to do with it, but I would point out that didn't stop him from going true. scorched earth on Roy Moore, yeah, uh, from yeah. Uh, ta- speaking out about Al Franken, um, you know, right. other instances of this on the on the Democratic side of the aisle. So, uh, y- yes, I think that's probably a factor in his mind, but it's not something that's stopped him in the past. A question is, I guess, whether uh, he can hold off, right, and restrain himself between now and Monday. <laughs> right, because there's one dynamic that's proven to be true, which is the president has oftentimes said said things and might be surprising in, in its restraint or for its tone and whatever, uh, and then he'll go back to the residence and, and watch the media coverage of all of it, right. and if he gets upset with that media coverage, he'll change his tune very quickly. Right. Uh, almost um, coincidentally, last night, the president announced, which would have been a huge story otherwise, um, an additional $200 billion in tariffs, which he had threatened before but not done, against China. So whatever Larry Cud- Larry Kudlow denies, it's still probably, but we're in a trade war with China, aren't we? It's certainly heading in that direction. Uh, you're talking $200 billion on top of the $50 billion that are of goods that have already faced, uh, that have already been uh, tariffed. Mm-hmm. That's about half of the imports that the U.S. takes in from China. So that's a huge amount. Uh, and, and it's affecting, you know, I talked to a lot of business groups, and it's not just affecting those goods that are being imported. It's affecting a lot of other things that might even be b- manufactured 
in the U.S. but might use Chinese parts or were manufactured by U.S. companies overseas. So this is we're talking about a huge chunk of the economy, and a lot of businesses are worried from you know furniture to manufacturers. Uh, and this is going in a bad direction. You saw the stock markets even you know go down mm-hmm. um, ahead of this announcement yesterday. Uh, and and Republicans are sure are worried about it because they're heading into a midterm election season um, where you know they're running in states where there's a lot of farmers who are their soybean uh, exports and, and and corn are being affected by retaliatory tariffs from China. So uh, you have a lot of Republicans who are worried. You have a lot of people in business who are worried about this. And uh, the, and now that the president has seemed to escalate the fight, there's no real clear pan, uh, plan. Excuse me to pull back from it. So no. In the, fact, he yes. said uh, that if China retaliates, then he's got another 257 billion or something. And that would be he, all basically be all the, Chinese yeah. uh, goods that are coming into the U.S. And what ha- you know, so this it's confusing. I find it best. Then what is our relationship with China? Because to start out right to, to, as a candidate. It was we're gonna get the Chinese. We're gonna, they, they've been screwing us for so long. Blah, 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 blah. And then he invites President Xi down to Mar a Lago, and he's his, suddenly his best friend. They have the big piece of beautiful chocolate cake. <laughs> and then we don't have to worry about North Korea because China's going to save us in kind of a North Korea. But now we're have a trade war against China. What happened? What's that mean with the relations with North Korea? And it's, it seems like we're going in two different directions at one time. Absolutely. I mean, there. So I'll, I'll say this: the, the president has been pretty consistent on on one issue, which is trade, for a lot of years, even yeah. before he was president. So, right. uh, it's not nece- if you look at it from that standpoint, it's not necessarily surprising. If you look at it from the standpoint of what's happened in this administration, like you said, the president trying to emphasize his relations uh, with President Xi, the president uh, really relying on China to enforce these sanctions on North Korea. In that sense, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, and and also, you know, if you try to get into a trade war between the you know the first and second largest economies in the world, there ought to be a plan. Uh, you would think uh, to get something out of it. And, and so far, the U.S. hasn't been able to get any kind of concessions, um, really major concessions, I would say, out of, out of China. And um, you know, if if you it, and the reason that's important is you need that kind of concession to try to pull back from this. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, uh, the president right. needs to have something to be able to declare victory. We know right. he loves to declare victory. So if he's not getting that, you know, where do we go? Do we escalate that trade war? And if so, uh, what's the consequences going to be for the economy and for um, you know, the midterm elections? And unless I miss it, this is being done by the president without any cooperation or consultation with Republicans in Congress? Well, I I wouldn't say that. I mean, the, the Republicans of Congress have actually been pretty vocal behind the scenes in telling the president and the White House how damaging this strategy is. Uh, the problem is that the president hasn't listened to their I warnings. Think. So, so there has been consultation, but he but he's just ignored the Republicans in Congress. Yeah, you know, I've done yeah. some reporting on this, and and a lot of Republican lawmakers, when they talk to him, uh, you know, when they go to the White House, try to really drive home the point on trade. Um, you know these these guys are all free traders, or or at least were before the president was elected. Uh, but again, you know the president's not listening to them. Um, he's really you know tapping into his gut instinct about trade, and he's moving forward with with the, those plans to crack down on China. Right. Um, we just talked to Ryan Weil a little bit from uh, from HuffPost from a legal point of view about uh, another thing the president <laughs> announced last night is that he has directed the Justice Department to. 
um, release some other previously redacted documents uh, from as part of the Russian investigation. Uh, what's that all about? What's it amount to? And what's you know, what's he up to here? So these are documents that relate to the, really the origins of the Russian investigation. Uh, we're talking about a uh, surveillance, an application for surveillance on uh, Carter, Carter Page, Page, and also uh, texts related to the Russian investigation from a wide variety of people, from James Comey to Lisa Page and Peter Strzok, these two former FBI officials, and and Bruce Orr, who's currently at the Justice Department. Um, this is something that House Republicans have wanted for a long time. Um, they believe it's going to reveal some kind of bias in the Russian investigation. But we, we've been but, down this road yes. before, haven't we? Where if they release this man, the whole thing's going to blow up. And I, I was about to point out that they've done this before. They, they've released the, the part of the Carter Page uh, FISA yeah. surveillance warrant and actually uh, gave evidence to the opposite point, which is that this dossier that the president has long criticized actually was not what sparked the Russian investigation. It was uh, the George Papadopoulos Right. Uh, information given uh, mm-hmm. that was eventually passed along to the FBI about Russia having dirt on Hillary Clinton. So, um, you know, it'll be interesting to see once these documents come out uh, <laughs> whether this might backfire on Republicans. I mean, I don't know if they've seen these unredacted documents. You know, there might be things in there that they're not prepared for. So there are risks uh, for, for uh, House Republicans in pushing this line. You and I, you mentioned earlier the difference in some of the briefings of the Obama in the Obama years. And I remember several times Jake Carney, Robert Gibbs, and Josh Ernest all saying, no, this is an ongoing investigation. We, we can't comment on it, or we can't interfere with an ongoing investigation. I mean, going out of their way when it, there were times we all felt, come on, that's a phony excuse. But, but, there doesn't seem to be any respect for an ongoing investigation with the Trump White House. No, and there's a lot of alarm about that within law enforcement circles that uh, this is a red line that's being crossed. Uh, one source told me yesterday, um, we're talking about the president ordering d- uh, documents declassified regarding an investigation in which he is a subject. So yeah. that is uh, you know, far beyond anything we've seen in a long time, I mean, maybe dating back to Richard Nixon. And there's a lot of concern about... Uh, what that means for the independence of the Justice Department and its ability to carry out investigations without political interference. Uh, that being said, you know, from a journalist standpoint, it's you know, I think more transparency is better. Uh, you know, we'll see what's in these documents and and uh, you know, they'll say what they say, and, and the public will know about it. Yeah. At the same time, you have to you have to acknowledge that um, prosecutors, investigators, you know, they've got their job to do and. If they're in the middle of an investigation, they can't be releasing everything they find, right? Because some of it may not be relevant and should not be released. As you point out, there could be some privacy issues. Yeah, that's the reason these and, FISA uh, warrants are done secretly. They believe that, you know, the government believes that uh, people who are placed under surveillance should at least have their rights protected. You know, they if, if it was all out there and open, people would presume the guilty, uh, things like that. Uh, and uh, by putting all that out there, uh, that that sort of violates that principle. Jordan Fabian with us from The Hill covers the White House for The Hill, thehill.com. So if the president has been remarkably restrained, uh, was yesterday when it comes to um, uh, Dr. Christine Ford, the woman who accuses Brett Kavanaugh of sexual assault back when they were in high school, he's also not been remarkably restrained, Jordan. Um, I don't think he has said a peep about Paul Manafort. 
since Friday when Paul Manafort reaches a deal with Robert Mueller. Um, what's up? Yeah, it's a good question, Bill. Uh, yeah, typically uh, you'd hear you have a tweet or something from the president about this. Uh, of course, there was a tweet I about. Kept, I when, kept looking all over the all weekend. But. Right. The, yeah, and the day that you, the the Manafort was convicted in in the Virginia trial, and and when Michael Cohen uh, pleaded guilty, yeah. the president, of course, praised praised Paul Manafort as a very brave man who uh, who refused to give in to the feds. Uh, now that's not the case, and uh, but we haven't heard any kind of follow up. And look, it's it's uh, certainly troubling uh, for for the for Trump in some respect that that Paul Manafort is is now uh, cooperating with the special counsel's office. I'm sure it might save the, the headlines of a trial uh, before election day, but um, you know if he has any kind of damaging information about that Trump Tower meeting, which he was in uh, with these Russians who were reportedly offering dirt about Hillary Clinton, uh, that might not be good for the president. I mean, this is somebody who's in the room that they're – the special counsel's office is now in conversations with. Rudy Giuliani gives the impression and wants us to believe that um, the White House doesn't care about Paul Manafort. They're not concerned about this, right? Uh, what do you What do you hear? Are they worried about Man- what Manafort might might say? Yeah, I mean, I, that's something Rudy Giuliani, I think, probably has to say. Uh, yeah, try to sure. down, downplay that. Yeah, right. uh, but we don't have to believe threat. it. <laughs> no, of course not. And, uh, <laughs> and and you know, I, I think there there is a sense that there there is a sense among. Trump team. I mean, there, there, people on that team. Some people have kind of internalized that that they're not worried about Russia, the Russian investigation. Um, but there are people around the president who are worried that this is growing more serious. Um, I, I still think the thing they are worried about the most is this uh, Michael Cohen investigation up in New York because that mm-hmm. that is going getting into the Trump's business. Uh, is getting into these. Uh, dealings with Stormy Daniels. So uh, there is fear that that investigation is actually going to be more damaging than Russia. Why is it taking so long for the president to find another White House counsel? I I think for the same reason that it took him so uh, long to find a personal lawyer to invest him in the Russian investigation. That is a thankless job. I mean, <laughs> the, the, all the reports are out there about the tensions between the president and Don McGahn uh, where the president views the position of White House counsel as somebody who is there to protect him at all costs, uh, and the White House counsel really is is to serve the presidency, not the president. So uh, there's there's going to be an inherent tension there, and there's a lot of high-powered Washington lawyers are going to be wary about stepping into that kind of position. It was it's been at least two weeks, I think, since Donald Trump tweeted, "I'm so excited." <laughs> About my new White House counsel. Right. And uh, <laughs> it's... Uh, what was that? I, I completely forgot about that. Remember yeah. that? Yeah, I completely yeah. forgot about that. But yeah. He didn't name who it was, but... Uh, and, and there is no name. I mean, there is no. not no. There is not a no. name. So, um, yeah. It's another day in Trump's tweets. <laughs> yeah, there it is. Uh, so just kind of circling back to, to the big story of the day. Um of all the issues and the things that uh, Donald Trump promised to deliver on and kind of stake his reputation on or whatever is the getting Brett Kavanaugh on the Supreme Court is by far numero uno wouldn't you say in terms of he's got to deliver on that i mean this 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 counts a lot for Donald Trump yeah it sure does uh, one of the things uh, that about the Trump presidency that is really pleased republicans is is his ability to get conservatives on the court so if that fails, and 
Republicans end up losing seats in the Senate, uh, that's going to be a big problem for them. Uh, there's going to be this seat where, you know, who knows what's going to happen with it if uh, this nomination uh, collapses. I, I would point out, though, that we're not yet at that point. Uh, no, right. The, the, a week is a long time. A lot can happen between now and Monday when that hearing is going to take place. Well, look at what has happened between now and last Monday, yeah, right? Exactly. So it, it's it's sort of gone totally in the opposite direction. It could shift back to where it was two weeks ago, or it could end up being a disaster. But in terms of, I mean, the one the one pledge Donald Trump made over and over again as a candidate, you know, I'm going to put people on the Supreme Court. We're going to be against Roe v. Wade. We're going to take, take the court to the right. And it looked like he was going to have the opportunity, not just for one, but two, right, which now is at least up in the air. Mm-hmm. That's right. Yeah. All right. So uh, we'll let you go with the, and prepare your questions for the president of Poland. I'm sure you're going to be doing a lot of research on the <laughs> on the Polish economy and uh, yeah. all kinds of issues affecting that. Indeed. Jordan, it's always good to see you. Good to see you too, Bill. Thanks. Thanks for coming in, Jordan. Uh, Fabian, again, you can follow uh, at the Hill, thehill.com. Lots of good reasons for following the Hill every day, as we do. Uh, now Tuesday, it is all yours, folks. Have a uh, make the most of it, and then don't forget, come back this and see us again tomorrow. This is the Bill Press Show.